Honorable Chief Justice and Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of North Carolina. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, the Supreme Court of North Carolina has resumed sitting for the dispatch of business. God save the state and this honorable court. Our next case is State versus Delal. We'll hear from the appellant. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honors, and may it please the court, Zachary Dunn here on behalf of the state. And with the court's permission, I'd like to reserve five minutes of time for rebuttal. This case is before the court before, uh, based on Judge Dillon's dissenting opinion at the Court of Appeals. The dissent was based on three grounds, preservation, the merits of the lay opinion argument, and prejudice, each of which the state raises in this court as an independent and adequate basis for reversal. But I'd like to start, if I might, with prejudice. I know that a prejudice uh, analysis usually goes last, but our position is the prejudice analysis is the most straightforward way for this court to dispose of the, the case. To be clear, we think we have winning arguments on preservation and the merits of the lay opinion testimony, and I'll be discussing those with your honors in, in just a few minutes. Uh, but I think this court could do much like it did in the Pabone case, uh, which was released last Friday. Uh, and say that even assuming there was error and even assuming there was preservation, uh, that the defendant had failed to demonstrate prejudice in the case. Um, and we think the Court of Appeals prejudice analysis is significantly flawed, uh, focused on the significant weight the jury likely placed on Officer Carsow's testimony because it ignored this uh, court's case law in Campbell, uh, where it said, it is well established that the admission of evidence without objection waives prior or subsequent objection to the admission of evidence of a similar character. Uh, and I'd like to direct your honors to record page 23 and 24, uh, which is the search warrant application, which was submitted uh, and proffered to the jury without an objection by defendant. Uh, this search warrant contained in substance, if not in exact form, the exact same testimony, the exact same information uh, that formed the basis of the challenge testimony. And we quoted on page 18 of our brief, this comes directly from uh, the search warrant application. I, meaning Officer Carsau, have formed an opinion satisfactory to myself that the above named person, the defendant, Mr. DeLau, uh, drove the above des described vehicle on the above described highway or public vehicular area while under the influence uh, of an impairing substance. And so that information was available to the jury, uh, that being Officer Car Carsau's belief uh, that Ms., uh, Mr. DeLau was intoxicated and was the driver of the vehicle. So even assuming there was some sort of error in Mr. Carsau's testimony and trial, uh, that was waived under Campbell because the exact same evidence or very much similar evidence uh, was introduced without objection uh, by defendant's counsel. Uh, so simply that that's our primary submission on the prejudice argument. And we think the easiest way for this court to, uh, to dispose of the case, but I would like to um, uh, talk about our prejudice or excuse me, our preservation argument uh, for just a moment. Uh, and as we mentioned on our brief, a reservation or a ruling on the preservation issue is not the state's the state's preferred uh, resolution because it would require or remand to the court of appeals to to determine the plain error issue that was raised below but not uh, not ruled on by the court of appeals because of the way that they disposed of the case. Um, 
But this court is well aware under appellate rule 10, uh, the way preservation works, uh, a party must state the specific grounds for the ruling the party desired the court to make if it is not apparent from the context. As we can see on page 206 of the transcript, there was no uh, specific grounds for which the objection was made in this uh, in, in this instance. So the only question really is whether uh, the specific grounds were apparent from the context. And we believe that uh, the dissenting opinion does a very good job explaining why exactly it was not apparent from the context. There could have been many uh, grounds that um, defendant's counsel could have been uh, grounding his objection in, such as a lack of foundation, a lack of uh, relevance, or whether the testimony was duplicative because much of the same information uh, was already stated by Officer Carsau on page 196 through 198 of the record. Uh, so the fact that that the objection could have been on one of many grounds uh, means that the basis for the objection was not apparent from the context. Uh, but from what's available to the court in the record here uh, is some indication that it's uh, that it is unlikely that the objection was on lay opinion grounds because the issue of lay opinion testimony was never raised at trial. And in fact, uh, the term lay opinion does not appear in the transcript at all. Uh, so, you know, the likeliness that an objection, uh, which did not state the grounds for the objection, but was on a topic that was never raised or discussed in the trial court uh, is in our submission unlikely, uh, which means that it's not apparent from the context, Your Honors. Is it, is it your position then that an appellate court is not empowered to, in looking at the testimony or even the entire record, uh, base its determination on its evaluation of evidence where there was a general objection lodged but cannot determine on a specific ground that there were grounds to uh, uphold the objection? Well, I, I think that an appellate court can, but it, it depends on what is raised by the defendant in the case. Here, there was a general objection, and in the Court of Appeals in this court, the only argument is that the objection should have been sustained because the, of the presence of lay opinion testimony. Uh, and so, you know, if, if there's only a general objection, the defendant does not get the benefit of being able to argue any number of possible, you know, ways that the trial court um, could have erred because, you know, it's it's lack of relevance or 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 some other ground. Um, you know, if, if it's not apparent from the context that in this case the objection was lay opinion testimony, uh, then it's simply not. Um, preserved under appellate rule 10. So that, that would be our position, Your Honor. I hope that answers your question. But it, it does, but just a little deeper, if you don't mind. Is that because the defendant has waived any opportunity uh, to have the appellate court to review it because the defendant or any party uh, that just lodges a general objection was not more specific? I think that's right, Your Honor. You know, there's nothing that stopped defendant's counsel from stating the ground for the objection. And then on appeal, 
The only argument made by defendant's counsel was that this was lay opinion testimony. So any other argument, uh, relevancy or shouldn't shouldn't have come in under the rules of evidence, those are waived uh, under the appellate rules for failure to make that argument to the court of appeals or this court. Uh, so that would be that would be our submission on that, Your Honor. Um, I would like to turn, if I might. Uh, to the argument or the merits of the lay opinion testimony argument. Um, this court said in Davis that shorthand statements of fact or instantaneous conclusions of the mind are treated uh, by appellate courts as fact rather than opinion. And so uh, Officer Carsow's general impressions of the scene uh, when he arrived on scene uh, at night, of course, are treated as fact and and not as uh, lay opinion testimony. So uh, his description of the scene, uh, Officer Carsow's notation um, of how far away uh, Mr. Delau was from the moped, the, all those sorts of things are not lay opinion testimony. So the only thing that could be lay opinion testimony uh, is his conclusion, uh, his statement that he believed that Mr. DeLau was the driver of the vehicle. Um, but the context and in, in the way that this office, uh, this officer testified uh, is important in this case because it uh, significantly differentiates it between uh, the Court of Appeals cases relied on by the majority, which are Moretti and Denton. Of course, not binding on, on your honors, but we're not asking this this court to, to overrule or, or say anything about those cases. The key factual distinction between that those cases and here is that in those cases, the officers were specifically asked whether or not they believed the defendants in those cases were either the driver of the relevant vehicle or uh, were otherwise at fault in the wreck that had occurred. And here, there was absolutely no testimony by officer, or there was no questions, excuse me, asked of Mr. Carsow, uh, Officer Carsow, about whether he believed uh, that Mr. Delau was the driver of the vehicle. Instead, he was simply asked. Mr. Dunn, the, uh, the, the specific question that the prosecutor asked was something like, quote, what circumstantial evidence did you believe you had at that time that he was, he was in fact the driver of the moped? I mean, that's, that's the question, isn't it? It is. Uh, but, uh, you know, in context, we think that he was not directly asked whether he believed that Mr. Officer or uh, that Mr. Delau was the driver of the vehicle. Rather, he was explaining. That, 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 doesn't that question assume that he believed that, it, that the defendant was the driver? That's certainly true, uh, but there was no objection to the question itself. That, uh, that, know, that, 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 that's a that's a different subject than. Uh, whether uh, an attempt was made to elicit a lay opinion as to who was driving, isn't it? I'm I'm sorry, Your Honor. Could you I say that again? Whether you know, you know, whether there was an objection doesn't have any bearing on whether the question itself sought to elicit an opinion from the uh, officer as to whether the defendant was driving or operating the moped, does it? That's certainly true, Your Honor. The distinction that we're trying to draw is in in those two cases, Moretti and Denton, the office right at the end of their testimony, they were asked, "Do you believe that either the driver was at fault or was the driver of the vehicle?" And here, the the testimony and the question was really, "What circumstantial evidence did you have at the time 
to believe that you had probable cause to go and get this warrant. Uh, so well, there well, is the, the question itself was what what caused you to believe he would drive it, right? That, that's correct. Yes. How is there any any meaningful difference between that question and the question that uh, uh, was uh, was held in, inappropriate in, in, in Moretti and Boone? Well, uh, Your Honor, our submission would just be that because the steps taken by an officer during the invest their investigation are relevant topics to discuss during direct examination. And so this was simply one of the steps taken and, and the officer was asked, you know, what he believed, uh, you know, gave him probable cause to go ahead and go get this warrant. And so the distinction we're drawing there is simply that that is different than simply straight up asking an officer on uh, on the stand whether or not they believed in their opinion uh, that the uh, the driver was the defendant in those cases. Of course, if your honors uh, don't uh, take take that point, uh, we would fall back both on the preservation and on the prejudice prong because the exact same information was contained in the warrant. Um, unless there are further questions from the court, I'd just like to take a moment. To... I would I would like to ask you one further question about the, your um, prejudice argument, and in particular, um, the the document that you point us to. Do do we know from the transcript? Is it in the record that um, that was published to the jury, or did it go back to the jury it, with the jury in the jury room? Uh, we do, Your Honor. I, I believe it's on transcript page 206. It's right around 206 or 207. That's when uh, defendant's counsel was asked if he had any objection. And then there is a notation uh, in the record. And I'm sorry if I'm correct, but uh, incorrect. But I believe there's a notation in the record uh, that the, the search warrant itself was passed out to the jurors and they, they, they looked at the documents. Uh, I'm not sure if it was brought back to the jury room itself, but they, uh, they definitely had, uh, I think, uh, the, the search warrant itself for them. Uh, and I, I would note also uh, the cross-examination testimony uh, of Mr. DeLau's counsel in which uh, they go into great depth about the search warrant application and specifically, you know, some boxes that were on the form, box 2A versus 2B. Um, defense counsel and, and Officer Carsau talked about how um, Officer Carsau didn't specifically see uh, Mr. DeLau driving, those sorts of things. And so, you know, the, the issues in the search warrant application and, and what's contained in the search warrant application, we think was definitely before the jury, Your Honor. Thank you. Unless there are any, I'm sorry. I was just going to say thank you, counsel. Oh, thank you. We would just urge uh, the court to reverse the decision of the Court of Appeals. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Uh, we'll hear from the appellee. May it please the court, Joseph Lattimore on behalf of Robert Wayne D. Law. It is well established that the jury is charged with determining what inferences and conclusions are to be drawn from the evidence. A lay witness invades the province of the jury in giving his inferences and conclusions when the jury is as well qualified as the witness 
to draw those same conclusions and inferences from the facts. There is a rather large body of case law that I've, I've cited in my brief that applies that particular uh, well-established principle to uh, car accident cases. Uh, everything from uh, the McGinnis case, uh, an opinion issued by, by this court, uh, where the, uh, this court held that it was not competent evidence for the officer uh, to declare in his sworn statement that uh, an individual named McGee was driving the Mercury vehicle because it was a statement of a guess or opinion or conclusion resulting from his investigation. Uh, we also have um, a more recent opinion uh, in Denton where the investigating trooper improperly testified that he believed the defendant was driving at the time of the crash because the quote seating position was pushed back to a position where I did not feel that Miss Mitchell would be able to operate the, that vehicle or reach the pedals. So we have a well established track of cases that hold that this sort of uh, an inference or conclusion drawn in these cases uh, where an officer is on on the scene after an accident and gives his analysis from after the fact observations is impermissible. And that's precisely what occurred in this particular case. Officer Carsau uh, impermissibly invaded the province of the jury by drawing inferences from the evidence to convey his opinion that Mr. DeLaw drove the moped. Now the state and the dissent focus too much on the purpose of the question in an effort to show that this was not opinion testimony at all. But it doesn't matter that, that Officer Carsau was not specifically asked by the prosecutor to give a formal opinion. The, the state tries to distinguish Maridi and Denton by arguing that law enforcement officers were explicitly asked in those cases for their opinion and, and, and that's what makes uh, those examples of impermissible lay opinion testimony. But a careful reading of Maridi and Denton does not reveal exactly what the exchange was between the prosecutor and uh, the witness uh, when they uh, gave the improper lay, lay opinion testimony. It, the opinions do not contain the prosecutor's precise uh, questions. So in this case, it, it's accurate that Officer Carso was asked to provide the circumstantial evidence that he had gathered as he applied for the search warrant. And so the question had some, some relevance to giving the jury an explanation as to the officer's investigation in the case. And, but the, but the answer to that question went far beyond what the prosecutor asked. The state how, do we, how do we divorce the two? How do we divorce the two separating the improper lay opinion on one hand, uh, improper as ultimately was found by the Court of Appeals at least, how do we find that that was improper, 
keep that separate from how he operated as an officer in giving the information as he knew it, as you just said, uh, to search, uh, to get the search warrant? Well, it's it certainly, it's it certainly proper or proper under uh, a number of cases um, in North Carolina that an officer can give the jury some background information about uh, the investigation and even go so far as to uh, explain uh, what what was done in terms of applying for a search warrant, but what's what what crosses the line here and invades the province of the jury is his his explanation of how he arrived at the conclusion that Mr. Delaw was the driver. The, the state's wrong when it contends that that Officer Carzow just gave the facts and circumstances, including quote defendant's injuries, defendant's ownership of the moped, defendant's proximity to the moped, and the short period of time between when 911 was called and when EMS arrived. But that's he, the, is, he is entitled to state those things as facts, isn't he? He is. He is. But, so the, the, so the, only thing, the only thing that, in your view, is inadmissible, at least as I understand your brief, is the opinion, in essence, I, the officer, thought, the defendant was driving. That's that's correct, Your Honor. And I think and that's the only that's the and that's the only thing under your argument that would be in it. Yes, right? it's 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 okay. the latter part of his of his answer, where he where he states the fact that the extent of his injuries told me I didn't believe anybody else could have been on scene, and the speed at which both EMS. Uh, and officers arrived on the scene, which I believe prohibited, you know, too much time passing where other individuals are coming in and out. Um, so what you have there at the at the tail end of, of his response are deductions from the evidence that he could properly give uh, to the jury in the earlier part. Well, but he's I mean, giving it, you his it, Mr. Mr. Lattimore, isn't it? Yes, if you right. read the answer that ultimately led to the objection, it seems that the answer that's given assumes uh, that the officers assumes the officer's opinion that the defendant was driving. I mean, it, it assumes that from the moment the answer begins, doesn't it? It it, it does, but but well, I think why, is, why isn't why isn't an why shouldn't an objection have been lodged at the time of the question rather than you know, through you know, a near paragraph of uh, fairly clearly argumentative testimony that's explaining why the officer believes that the defendant was, was uh, operating the moped. Well, you, Your Honor, you can see why the question itself did not draw an objection, because although it's inartfully worded, it, it seems to to be somewhat connected to a discussion of the search warrant application process and, and therefore to the investigation. So well, at, at, a, at a minimum, though, when you get information that's subject to multiple uses, this is the appropriate thing for trial counsel to do to object and to request a limiting instruction that the information that's being recited not be considered for the truth of the matter asserted. Well, I'm not sure I'm not sure that the beginning of that I'm not sure that the question in the beginning of the response um, would have warranted that objection. Uh, I can see why counsel 
didn't do anything at that point because it is it, it is tangentially uh, related to uh, the search warrant process, uh, the investigation in the case. It's inartfully worded for sure. And because it, because it looks it looks to me, Mr. Lattimore is assuming that assuming that this objection is sufficiently specific to satisfy the requirements of Rule 10A1, then uh, there's a number of statements that were were admitted without objection at all, and that we didn't get an objection until we got to the point uh, in which the officer was discussing the speed at which the uh, law enforcement officers and the EMS personnel got to the scene. Well, Your Honor, the, the, I think this builds on a, a point that the state makes. Um, uh, they rely heavily on the fact that the warrant application was eventually admitted into evidence and that counsel cross-examined Officer Carzal re regarding his application. Uh, but this was part of an effort to undermine the improperly admitted opinion uh, that she had objected to previously. I'm, I'm sorry, are you, talking, are you talking about the cross-examination then? I am. Okay, all right, thank you. And she's showing that the, that the thought process, uh, which he improperly had expressed uh, prior, uh, was not in the warrant application. She thoroughly cross-examined him on, on that particular point. And you can see that at pages 220 to 221 of, of the transcript in this case, where she ends this line of cross-examination with, there's an area uh, where there's like room that the facts kind of indication, there may be some information there, correct? That's correct. And this is blank, correct? Yes. And you didn't write any of the observations that you have testified to when you went to go get this warrant, correct? Answer, that's correct. And the state relies on Campbell to argue that by doing that particular cross-examination, uh, that we have waived the prior objection to the improperly uh, admitted lay opinion testimony. But in the Wells case that, that I have cited in my brief, there, there is a uh, a particular passage that says one does not waive an objection otherwise sound and seasonably made by attempting to explain or destroy the probative value of the evidence on cross-examination. And then it cites a number of uh, older decisions uh, from this court. So the principle what, seems what, to be. What, what, what about the admission of the uh, search warrant affidavit? I mean, if you look at page, uh, I think it's, to uh, uh, seven of the transcript, the search warrant application is uh, admitted without explicitly without objection. And the transcript says, whereupon the document was received in evidence in States Exhibit Two, copies passed to the jurors, jurors reading. Yes, and I mean, that's that's pretty clearly uh, the admission of. You know, the search warrant application's got a box on it that's checked where the officer says, I believe the defendant was driving, doesn't it? Uh, it does. It does contain that information. So, and this so why is, again, is that, why is that not the admission? Why is that not uh, the admission of evidence of the same or similar evidence sufficient to support a finding of, of non-prejudice uh, 
assuming that we were to agree with you that uh, the evidence in question was was inadmissible. And our position is that the that the information contained in the search warrant application is not the same as how that. How is it? How is it? How is it not the same? Given your prior concession that that the uh, facts upon which the officer relied. Uh, the evidence of those observations would be would be admissible and was not subject to the the uh, objection that was made. Our position is that the inferences are not included in the search warrant application. The thought process is not included in the search warrant application. He simply checks a box that says, "I think I think he was the driver," but he doesn't he doesn't lay it out. The same way that he does in his explanation to the jury uh, at page 206, uh, believing that Mr. DeLaw was the driver was obvious from the fact that he was charged. That law enforcement believed that they they got the right guy is is something that's at play in in every case. Uh, but the thought the thought process is different from the bare conclusion in in terms of prejudice, because in this particular case. His thought process does undercut the testimony of the two defense witnesses in this case. He's specifically telling the jury at page 206 why you can't believe the testimony of, of, of anybody who's going to say that there was another driver because the speed at which both EMS and officers arrived on the scene pro prohibited uh, someone uh, that could have driven leaving leaving the scene. So so that's why there's particular prejudice in this case from the from the admission of the inadmissible uh, opinion at, at page 206. And in the end, the majority conducted the proper prejudice analysis in this case that focused on the effect that the evidence would have had on this jury. First, the opinion was from an officer, and an officer, it's been recognized, uh, gives an opinion that carries more weight than, than a typical witness. And also, the majority focused uh, on the fact that the opinion went to the contested issue in this case, the controverted issue in this case from the testimony that was presented by two defense witnesses. It went to the live issue in this case. And for those reasons, the majority correctly concluded that this was significant evidence in this case that would have affected the jury's analysis. And Mr. DeLaw should be awarded a new trial as a result of, of that prejudice that his defense suffered in this case. So if there aren't any other questions, I, I would rest on my brief. Thank you, Council. Rebuttal. Yes, Your Honor, and may it please the court. Just very briefly, I'd like to end where I started, which is uh, a quick discussion of prejudice. Uh, Mr. Lattimore um, said or conceded that uh, the only improper testimony was, I thought the defendant was the driver. Uh, that is the alleged lay opinion testimony in this case. And as you can see in page 18 of our brief, but also on page 23 and 24 of the record, 
That was available to the jury through other sources, namely the search warrant application, which states, I, Officer Carsow, have formed an opinion satisfactory to myself that Mr. DeLau was the driver of the vehicle. Uh, so we certainly believe we have uh, winning arguments on all three issues, um, but we think that that is the easiest way for this case, to, uh, this court to dispose of this case by simply holding that due to the admission of the search warrant application, there could not have been prejudice uh, based on the alleged lay opinion testimony. And unless there's any questions, uh, I would ask the court to reverse. Thank you, counsel. Thank you, everyone. Madam Clark. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The Supreme Court of North Carolina will be in recess until 930 tomorrow morning. God save the state and this honorable court. <laughs>